Welcome to the Bentonville Beacon, where we bring you success stories from business leaders and owners about their triumphs and growth in the Bentonville and Northwest Arkansas community. You'll hear about how Bentonville has been the backdrop for incredible growth, not only for businesses and their employees, but in their personal lives as well. Tune in, subscribe, and enjoy hearing about Bentonville, where you get more of what you want and less of what you don't. Welcome back to the Bentonville Beacon Podcast, where we're sharing stories and advice from the leaders sparking the rise of Bentonville, one of the fastest growing and most dynamic cities in the United States, nestled in the Ozark Mountains of Northwest Arkansas in the heartland of America. Hey, I'm your host, James Bell, and I am thrilled to introduce you today virtually to Tim Hall. Tim is co-founder of Simporter, which automates product research through artificial intelligence. In this episode, you'll learn all about Tim and Simporter, including why the company is relocating from Atlanta to Bentonville. And at the end of the episode, I might even ask Tim a few questions about artificial intelligence, including perhaps an artificial intelligence joke that I'm trying to work on. Tim, welcome to the Bentonville Beacon. Thank you, James. It's great to be here. And thank you for having me. You bet. So uh, what should our audience know about Tim Hall? Well, I am moving to Bentonville is the number one thing, and we'll talk about that later in the show about why, but I'm going to be in people's neighborhood. For those people who are watching this in Northwest Arkansas, you're going to see me around, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that move uh, because it's just a wonderful place. I've been in Atlanta for a long time, and uh, Northwest Arkansas is just a wonderful place to move to. Well, cool. You know, you've worked some, for some pretty big brands, Hasbro, P&G, Cartoon Network, how have those helped you prepare to launch and lead your last few companies? Well, you know, I never intended to be an entrepreneur per se, and I'm on my third entrepreneurial gig right now. Of but course. I always liked working for the big, the big companies. And the, the issue I ran into there, I was in marketing and product development and each of those kinds of uh, operations. And, and the problem I ran into was um, whenever we'd bring out a new product line or a new brand, we ran into the same set of problems. And this is over decades. You know, we would we have all our eggs in one basket and that basket had a hole in the bottom. And so the current company that we'll talk about, I, we, we uh, co-founded to try to solve that problem. And so I, I got to tell people, I spent a lot of time on the problem side. And now here later in my career, I'm really working on the solution side. Yeah, I gotcha. Sounds familiar. Never intended to be an entrepreneur myself. And, and uh, after a few big companies, suddenly I was part of starting a few as well. Yeah. Let's talk about Simporter. But before we do, I'd love to hear an update on your Ukrainian team. You know, early last year, when we started talking about you moving Simporter to Bentonville, the unthinkable happened. Russia, of course, invaded uh, Ukraine. And in an instant, your top priority was not the move. It was getting your team to safety. Will you talk about what happened and how your employees and their families are doing today? Yeah, we, we care a lot about what's going on there. And uh, you know, I wish that uh, invasion was over, but it's not yet. It's still rolling on in front of our eyes, in front of the world's eyes. Um, so as background, uh, we started our company four years ago. It is an American company. Its headquarters is Atlanta, but most of our team is in Ukraine in the capital city of Kiev. Um, and so we have uh, 25, 26 people there today who are uh, developers, data scientists, data engineers, you know, a, a really hardcore tech team, as well as others. 
And my co-founder, Dylan, uh, lived there up until the invasion, a couple of weeks before the invasion. But we set up shop in Ukraine back in uh, 18, uh, mm. specifically because it has this wonderful community of technology people, this really talented group of people, very easy to work with. And it's a little bit easier to recruit over there than it is in the United States. You know, the, the salary structure is a little bit uh, better and they're less likely to get poached from from us by big companies sure. like the Googles and the Amazons of the world. So we've really enjoyed being in that space, you know, and then we we had to, like everybody else, we had to deal with uh, the impacts of COVID, uh, the epidemic, you know, and work learn to work remotely, which we did in 20 and 21. And then just when stuff was going back to normal in early 2022, the Russians invaded, you know, and it was absolutely terrifying uh, for those first couple of weeks because you know, most of the people who work there, quite a bit younger than me. And, you know, I was just really worried about them like you would be a family member. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just I think the right word I would use is terrified. I was pretty terrified. And, and Dylan, my co-founder, was terrified. He had gotten out two weeks before the invasion when the Americans uh, closed the embassy. Being American, you know, he had to move. So he, he went to Portugal. But the rest of our team was there. Um, and the first thing we did was make sure people were safe. And get in contact with everybody, create like a telephone tree to, you know, make sure we could check on each other. Mm-hmm. And we, we had a number of people who were allowed to leave the country for uh, and did for a little while. Uh, so they set up martial law originally. So the men who were working there could not leave Ukraine. The women could. And so we arranged to meet several of them at the border as they crossed over to, say, Poland or Germany, help them find housing, help them find temporary office space, help with all those kinds of things. Um, and we and we spent quite a bit of time in the second quarter, you know, March, April, May, just doing that and make sure people were safe, making sure they had what they needed. And they stayed working. Uh, you know, they didn't need to. You know, we, we just cared about their safety. But a lot of people in Kiev, when, you know, the, the, the Russians were attacking, the, the neighborhoods were kind of surrounded, but they had internet access and, and never lost the internet and didn't lose electricity really till later this year. So they kept working, although some of them were serving, and we can't really speak to that, but they were serving in their home defense. Um, and, you know, we made sure that the environment was right for, for the team, however they were going to deal with this situation. And there was one time we were on a conference call, and we could hear, you know, shelling in the distance. Oh, wow. and, you know, I've been through a lot of stuff in business, and I've never been on a conference call where there was shelling. So it was pretty terrifying. But... To your point now, you know, I think the, the situation in Kiev is more stable. Our people continue to work hard. And those who uh, wanted to find another place, you know, some folks with children are uh, happy and safe in other places in Western Europe. And some have even come to the United States with our support. So we're trying to make sure people can work wherever it's best for them and their families. Good. I'm glad you're doing that for your employees and their families and that everybody's as safe as they could be considering the situation heartbroken for them in their homeland. And uh, hopefully this thing will come to a good resolution sometime in the near future. We all hope that. Yeah. Yeah. So Tim, let's get into Simporter specifically. What's the big important problem that uh, your team is solving and who are you solving it for? So the biggest problem we're solving is that one that vexed me over my career at those big companies, mm-hmm. which is product failure. You know, the, you, you spend a lot of time and a lot of money launching a new product, and then 95% of them will fail within two years of getting on the shelf. You know, 95% failure rate. So we wanted to solve that with better data, 
making better decisions and then validating those in a better way. And, and, and this is, we're kind of at a very important time in, in this space because AI has allowed us to get our arms around more data than we ever could before. You know, so the old days we would, you know, come up with some new product ideas. Maybe we'd go do some focus groups, get some consumers who um, are interested in our product category to, to talk about what they're looking for, what needs are unmet. And we might do a survey, you know, that was pretty traditional, some, some quantitative research. And then we use a lot of gut opinion and, you know, go make a product. Mm -hmm. And today there's so much data out there that we collect. Uh, We'll collect it out of Google. We'll collect it out of product reviews that people write on a walmart.com or Amazon or public posts they're putting on, you know, TikTok or Instagram or other social media, just tremendous amounts of data. And think of that data as kind of unstructured. It's not like they're going there and checking a box like you would in a survey. They're just letting it all hang out. Mm-hmm. So AI is simply a tool that we use to make sense of that all, to, to look for where are the topics, put those patterns together. And then when you analyze that data, you can actually tell people, well, this would be a better product. This would actually do, people are looking for this problem to be solved. And here's what you should do to solve it. And here's how many you'll sell if you solve it. And that helps really kind of catalyze what consumer product companies should be doing to kind of gain some new territory and, and grow their their organic revenue. And so our clients are consumer product companies. So the people like, you know, Colgate, Church and Dwight, Dan and Yogurt, those are some of our clients that use this tool to help figure out where should they go next? How should they uh, approach the marketplace and how can they succeed? That's really cool. Would you like to share an example of uh, how you've helped one of them, whether you can name them or not, and to the extent that you can, what the results were? There's one company, and I won't use their name, but it's a vitamins company. And so we're Mm -hmm. all familiar with, you know, different kinds of vitamins on the shelf. And these guys uh, have a very well-known brand, and they were trying to kind of move upstream and do a more premium priced product that would help with cognitive abilities. You know, there's a lot of products out there for people in my age target who, you know, want to have better memory and better, you know, cognitive function. And so they used our tool to go after that audience. But what they discovered was actually the bigger opportunities with a younger audience is with mm-hmm. regular folks in their 20s and 30s and 40s who were kind of getting a brain fog towards the end of the afternoon. You know, I think we can all relate to it when the caffeine wears off. Yeah. You know, you get a little bit of a brain fog four or five o'clock. And so they developed a, a vitamin, a gummy to kind of help address cognitive clarity in the afternoon instead of, you know, in your retirement years, which is really cool that they found that insight using our tool. Um, and then this is back in uh, 19, this thing called ashwagandha, this adaptogen was really popular in the natural food space, but it wasn't really well known at mass retail. You wouldn't find a lot of ashwagandha at Walmart back in 2019. And so our client was working on um, sort of a B vitamin formula, but our data showed this this adaptogen of ashwagandha was really starting to become important to people. It was the early stages. So they repositioned around that, which had very good benefits. The product did really, really well. They were kind of first out there with ashwagandha, with this different positioning. Most importantly, when you get to the bottom line, it it didn't blend in like everything else did in that memory space for Mm. older people. It was really distinctive because we really didn't have a formulation like that for just everyday use. And so it's done really, really well. We're really proud of that work. Yeah, glad to hear that. It it 
Did it help them find sort of a blue ocean then where like everybody else was probably playing in the little bit older age category? Was the younger category wide open? Yeah. Yeah, it really was uh, for this kind of a thing. You know, it's a very crowded space with vitamins. So finding anything mm-hmm. that's kind of unique like that is is really valuable for them. And I think they found it that way. Oh, that's pretty solid. Talk about your your co-founder. Who do you co-found your the company with? We're, we're a family company in the sense my co-founder is Dylan Hall, who is my mm-hmm. son. And I'm very lucky. I have three grown sons. And he and I started kicking this idea around back in 2017 or early 18. And I mentioned I kind of came from the problem side of things, having been in consumer products. He kind of came from the solution side because he was uh, working in Eastern Europe for this lab that was funded by Google. And they were doing deep research on AI models, machine learning models. And I didn't know much about them. You know, like, you know, five years ago, I'm like, well, that sounds kind of interesting. And we started talking about data and, and unstructured data, which is all the stuff we look at. And from his knowledge base, he was able to kind of figure out Boy, if you plug these pieces of data in into this kind of a machine learning tool, it will it can kind of test itself and tell you, you know, the things we should be doing going forward in the product category to be successful or if you want to go to new categories. And then because he was in Eastern Europe, he had a lot of friends and network who were programmers and developers. And so he kind of got the team together in Ukraine and uh, he relocated there in, in 17. We put together the team in 18 and then spent a couple of years just working on the software not commercializing at all, just like making this thing really hum before we kind of left stealth and and took it public. Cool. That's really neat. How do you see uh, the company growing over the next few years? Well, we're building a company to last. You know, we're building something that will endure and grow by solving people's problems. And I think we're a little bit different than some uh, startup companies that sort of live by, well, we're going to do a round and then we're going to do another round. You know, let's go do a 10 million round. Let's go to 20 million Mm -hmm. round and let's sell. We're, we're kind of like, let's solve problems for this group of customers, and then let's solve problems for that group of customers. And along the way, we're going to make a lot of money. <laughs> and, and we are, and that's nice. But that's our focus, is to build something that's going to be around for a long time, you know, in, in who knows what state. It, you know, it could be a public company in a few years, but we'd like that to be a public company in Bentonville, Arkansas. And that's really what our focus has been, is building something up really important in, in that area. Cool. Well, I'm glad you're coming here. Welcome home. Thank you. Thank you. We uh, first met when you were in the fuel accelerator in Bentonville. Will you talk about your experience here with fuel and with Bentonville while you're here? Yeah, it's like, um, so I'm based in Atlanta. That's where we started the company. And I've been in other accelerators, like in Silicon Valley, we were in an accelerator from plug and play in uh, Sunnyvale. So right in the kind of heart of the tech world. But we've done other ones in Montreal and some in Europe. So we kind of love accelerators because they're a great place to kind of meet and network for future clients, future prospects. That's what's been really valuable for us. So we joined the one right in the midst of the pandemic and came out in 2021. Mm-hmm. And Tom Douglas uh, was the you know main mentor running the program and still is. And it was just an amazing experience because you know there's this one particular company in um, Benville that gets a lot of attention. And so we certainly had a lot of interaction and mentorship with that. But we're not just like about, you know, working with that one particular uh, well-known company. We're really about the overall ecosystem. We're really about people and and companies in the area that, you know, might need our service or might add to our journey. And so from that standpoint, Fuel was really, really great because the the networking was great. I, I met a lot of terrific people. And then very smartly... 
you know, there's this focus on the lifestyle of being in Bentonville, which has attracted a number of founders. You know, besides me, a lot of my friends have, have been attracted to that. And I can tell you, having done these in places like Silicon Valley, you don't really get that. You don't get this. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they sort of kind of come expecting you kind of want to be there because the capital markets. But, you know, Northwest Arkansas really, Arkansas in total, really kind of reached out its arms and said, you know, come on in. Here's all the ways we want to bring you in there in, into our community to help you be successful, to create jobs in our in our community. And, and that was really important for us and a big reason why we're moving. Good. Glad to hear it. That kind of led into the uh, the next question, You why you concluded that Bentonville needed to be your new headquarters and home or, or put another way, how does Bentonville help Simporter in ways that other communities don't or can't? Well, you know, we've only been in Two communities, really, Atlanta and Bentonville. So I can't speak to what others are doing. Mm-hmm. You know, well, Silicon Valley, I guess we can. But but what was unique here was this sort of sense of different groups would engage and, and then kind of bring you to another group. So we started with Fuel. That that's what brought us over the first time. And then we met you in the chamber, and that kind of opened up a wider network of people. And you introduced us to our new partners at Atento Capital. Uh, mm-hmm. which was great. Atento, uh, Sterling Smith, just wonderful resource for us. Great partnership. We, we were able to raise some seed capital with their, with their support and then, you know, vetting us. And that led us to Innovate Arkansas, uh, that group, which uh, came in as an investor. And it's, and it's just kind of flowered from there. And in each case, you know, what, what we're getting from that area, you know, some capital is nice, but it's really the people and the connections that we're making. Both, you know, we've met, I've met a ton of entrepreneurs in the area, famous guys who will spend time with me despite their incredibly busy schedules and with, with other entrepreneurs to kind of just tell us, well, here's how I did it. And here's the mistakes I made and, and here's what's worked well for me. And, and really not just lip service, but like investing time to kind of, kind of help you help us along in the journey. And uniquely, each one said, you know, we'd, we'd really love to have companies like you tech companies, more, more of that in this Northwest Arkansas area. And so that, that meant a lot to us. And, and that was really a big factor in why we went. It was this sort of network effect. And, you know, in Bentonville, of course, you know, one of the beauties of that, of that market in Northwest Arkansas is you're, you know, six degrees from, from anybody you want to meet. And so that's been, that's been really helpful. It's a, it's not like being in New York city or uh, Silicon Valley. And we have to challenge you six degrees. I think you're talking more like one or two or three. Yeah, I think so. Yes, you're yeah. always one person away, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is a really neat ecosystem. Uh, I do feel like people sort of wrap their arms around the folks who come here and go, come on, let's figure out how to get you to your, your next step and get you there as quickly as possible. So I'm glad to hear that that has worked out as your story as well. Tim, for you personally, how do you see Bentonville helping you live your best life? Well, you know, again, I've been in Atlanta. I'm, I'm a Yankee originally, but I've been in Atlanta long enough to be a native on Atlanta's standpoint. And, and that's all well and good, but uh, I like to be outdoors a lot. And in Atlanta, you have to get in your car for a while mm-hmm. before you can really get outdoors. And so just being here during the fuel accelerator exposed me to the trails, exposed me to just being able to walk around, uh, not get in your car during the day. I like to ride. And so it, it's kind of a natural fit. For me personally, and so that that's been a that was part of the calculus. You know, it was just a, a good life change for me and, and where I am in my life today. Excellent. Uh, you've mentioned a couple of things already, but beyond building uh, Simporter, what are some of your favorite things to do here in Bitville and around Northwest Arkansas? 
Well, I like to ride, and um, I, the trails I've only gone on a few of them, and they're pretty. Some of them are pretty challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have to, you know, one of the, my uh, opportunities is getting better shape, cardiovascular shape. So that's Same. definitely a focus. <laughs> yeah, like, we you can, can always be together. in better shape. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The second thing is to get an e-bike. So I'm going to have two bikes because I'm I'm not above admitting I should be on an e-bike for some of those trails. I, I think that I could use that assist. I think I've earned it. And so I kind of enjoy things that are outdoors. Uh, I do think, you know, Crystal Bridges is amazing. I, I find myself going there whenever I have extra time. But uh, I think a lot of it's going to be about being outdoors for me when I'm not working, which is the vast majority of the time I'm working. That's cool. I feel like I need to take like just during the day sometime around lunch, maybe making the short walk to Crystal Bridges, you know, from our office to downtown to down the trail. And just hanging out at Crystal Bridges for the afternoon working. I think that would be a really uh, neat place to just hang out and work. When you get outside your normal work environment, Mm -hmm. it tends to work on the right side of your brain. So you will be more creative. So I I highly agree with that. Yeah. Will you tell me a a story? We'll make it a hashtag because Bentonville story. And that's a story or a moment where something happened where you think, gee, that could only happen in Bentonville. Or maybe it describes the essence of this place. Yeah, well, there's one that comes to mind. Um, so there, as I was in the fuel accelerator, there's a few people I had put on a list early on that I wanted to meet and spend a little bit of time with. And they weren't necessarily mentors in the program, but I just had made a note. And one of them, I just, you know, it was COVID. It was kind of hard to get through to some people at that time. People weren't in their offices. Well, some were, but not everybody was working in the offices. And so I had gone pretty far through this program. Uh, it was like a eight, 10 week program, 10, 12 week program. And I, and I hadn't been able to get to this person even through that one degree of connection. So one Saturday I was riding on a trail that I probably shouldn't have been on. It was on one of the tougher ones off of, um, is it Slaughter Pen Trail? Slaughter mm-hmm. Pen? I think that's one of them. And so I needed a little help on uh, figuring out which way I was going on a trail because I was about to get on an extra long five mile loop that I didn't need. So I just started talking to a guy who is much better rider than I was. And I won't say who it is because that wouldn't be right. But anyways, that turned out to be the guy I've been looking for uh, to talk business with. And so, you know, not only did he help me find my way off the trail, he helped me with uh, with the company's journey as well, which was terrific. That can only happen in Benville. You know, you're, that's not going to happen in New York City, Atlanta, Silicon Valley. That was just one of those magic moments in Northwest Arkansas. You know, some folks' boardrooms are a boardroom and some are the trails here in Bentonville. Uh, it, it's such lot, a neat place I'm to meet people. Better, I'm a lot better in a boardroom than on a bike. You know, I have to be very, very humble on <laughs> a bike. You know, especially with the, these guys tend to be a little bit younger. But in this case, it worked out great. Outstanding. Well, hey, before we pivot to some sort of random questions and some questions about AI, let me ask you this important question. If somebody wants to reach Tim Hall or get to know Simporter, how do they do that? You can email me at tim at simporter.com. That'll come straight through to me. That's the quickest way to do it. Or if you're in Northwest Arkansas, I work out of the ledger. So you can find me usually near the coffee. Excellent. Well, that's where you'll find me a lot as well. So, you know, artificial intelligence is, turns out it's a pretty hot topic uh, right now. So I'd love to hear your thoughts, uh, if you don't mind. And and let's start with, uh, I guess, the more serious question that a lot of people are asking. Is AI going to take our jobs or is it an adjunct to our work or is it something different? I guess I would say it's something different because it's transformational. 
So no, it's not going to replace humans. Uh, it is going to redefine how we engage with our roles today. Mm. Uh, it's going to ev- everybody in 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 most pursuits is going to have to uh, take the game up a little bit because of all the stuff that it can do. But on the other hand, it's going to make our work a lot more interesting and take away some of the routine stuff that we do. And so we should all be a little bit happier after the fact. Yeah, absolutely. What's the the coolest thing that you've seen AI do so far? Well, I think the most sort of topical thing is Chat GTP, Chat GPT, which uh, everybody's been talking about. And you know, it, if you experiment with it, it's it's pretty fascinating how it can very very quickly write up topics that ordinarily take quite a bit of research and structure to formulate. We've been uh, using Chat GPT for almost a year now in our product, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of bridges the state. So we're using AI models to kind of uncover product trends, product needs, consumer needs, opportunities. And then we kind of test these uh, unique ideas that come through it uh, that get kind of bubbled up. But you have, there's a stage that has you have to write those ideas up. And maybe a year, a little over a year ago, a year and a half ago, one of our clients said, I just don't want to write it up. You know, it's, it's going to take me three days to write up five different takes on this new product. And so we're like, oh, well, we could probably automate that. And so we actually hooked up into the, the earlier version from OpenAI and put that into our tool. And the immediacy of you, of you getting that, you know, it's still data in, data out. You still have to have good data coming in um, to make it useful and, you, and have good utility. But, you know, we started that place anyways. And so now here's like this icing on the cake that creates this beautiful description of the product. It's pretty astonishing and I use it for just like marketing writing. If I'm working on a topic for a blog post or, you know, paper that we're trying to publish, I'll have it, I'll use uh, OpenAI's tool to just write out, uh, you know, give you a thousand words on topic A, mm-hmm. point out these three sources, you know, kind of direct it to the sources and let it write that up. It's pretty fascinating what, uh, what can come through that. So that's OpenAI. That's kind of the, you know, the new kid on the block. Beyond that, there are tons of incredibly interesting machine learning models under the hood uh, that aren't going to get as much attention as OpenAI because they're not as consumer facing, but there's a lot of really cool stuff going on out there. That's cool. I will. I too have been using chat GPT quite a bit and am in finding, uh, you're right. It's as good as the data that goes in. It's also as good as the question that's asked and the refinement right. to that question as you ask it to write something and ask to, to uh, revise it. I learned a new trick this morning. Did you know you can turn the temperature of chat GPT up and down? The temperature? I haven't seen that term. Used. Yeah. So you can tell it, you know, answer this at temperature 100 and it'll give like max effort. Or you can say, answer at temperature 0.1 and it'll give you an okay effort. It's, it's really interesting to, uh, to play with that. Uh, I just discovered it, I guess, really yesterday. I saw it in a blog somewhere. So I tried it out this morning. It was really neat. That's that's really clever. I'm sure our data engineers know that, but nobody's told me yet. So I got to check out temperature. Cool. Well, what's a use for AI that you haven't seen implemented yet, but expect to see or can't wait to come to uh, fruition? Well, there's a lot of different use cases that keep bubbling up. And the one that I think is close, but not there yet, is in true creative execution. Uh, when we're developing advertising, we're developing really new ideas. And I was talking with somebody in the entertainment world. So, so AI has the ability to take existing ideas and existing themes and, and reconstitute those. Mm-hmm. 
But in the world of entertainment, you know, when AI really delivers something as weird and groundbreaking as like Squid Games, mm-hmm. you know, like where that's kind of magic. Like, where did that come from? Who, you know, who would have greenlit a program like that? You know, episodic series of where everybody dies each episode and scripted and in a foreign language. You know, that's just how would you predict that that's going to do so uh-huh. well in the United States, right? And so I think that bringing it to the the most kind of magical place, which is storytelling and in novel ways is is going to be next on the horizon, but it'll take a little bit of work to outperform what brilliant writers and brilliant storytellers could do today. Yeah. I, I wonder if we can make it interactive by using generative AI to uh, sort of help finally help start changing the endings or changing other parts of, of stories so that it's, it's particular to the person that's watching it. Yeah. Just don't tell George Lucas. I don't, we don't want any change. Don't tell Disney's no. that we don't want any changes no, no, no. in the star Wars canon, but uh, <laughs> everywhere else is fair game. That's exactly right. Hey, uh, how are you using AI outside of work? Well, you know, I have uh, my music is all AI generated these days, <laughs> or at least uh, sort organized using AI. And, uh, you know, we're, we're touching in a lot of different places right now. So I'm very tired of the algorithms that are controlling my, my newsfeed. Mm. Uh, I've been turning off a lot of uh, social apps because I don't like the way those algs are serving up certain stories and diminishing others. So I think it, it's incumbent on all of us to be really mindful and kind of be aware of where it's having an impact and then decide for ourselves, do I like that impact or not? You know, do I do I want to be force fed this set of inputs or do I want to find a way to to broaden that and not let it just cater to my clicking habits? So I think all of us have to kind of keep that in mind and, and, and be judicious about how we engage with it with different forms that are using AI. Yeah, absolutely. What advice do you have to people who want to know more about how they may use artificial intelligence at work or in their lives right now? Well, I'm not one for giving much advice, but I would say that it's kind of important to just plunge in and recognize that, you know, things are going to continue to change at a pretty rapid level. And it, you're never, it's never too late to kind of learn new, new approaches and stay on top of these things. And, you know, I, I started in consumer products, for example, on, on the job side of things back when, you know, TV advertising was everything. Mm-hmm. You know, we would, We'd run commercials in the morning and people would flock to the store that afternoon to buy our can of coffee. And, you know, it just doesn't work that way. It's, it's uh, fragmented and it's digital and it's peer-to-peer. Like, things have changed so much. They're going to continue to change. And so it's just, it's fascinating, but you got to kind of set time aside to think a little bit outside the box, outside your regular routines and say, you know, what, what's going on? How do I learn about this? Uh, you could just open up OpenAI and have it give you a little lesson or a tutorial. But it's important to just stay curious and keep, keep tabs of all this really, really interesting stuff that's happening with technology today. Yeah, you bet. Stay curious, folks. That's, a, that's amazing. That's really good advice, the sage advice. Let's wrap up with a uh, couple of random questions. Over the course of your life and career, how have the meanings of the words happiness and success changed for you? Well, uh, happiness has always been internal for me and not dependent on what was going on in the outside, uh, outside environment. Happiness for me has always been more about family and friends. Uh, so I've been happy when I was pretty poor and I was happy when I was pretty rich. Mm-hmm. 
and I was happy when I was poor again. So I've kind of gone through all kinds of stuff like that. And that's really more about, you know, just understanding, uh, you know, what you can control, be disciplined and do it as well as you can. And what you can't control, you know, just just recognize that uh, stuff happens and, uh, you know, we'll get through it. And so that was the happiness question. What was the other half of your of your question? Yeah. The other half is uh, success. How success has is def- that changed? Yeah. Success in, in my worldview uh, shouldn't be measured in dollars and cents or fabulous trips or how many people are following on Instagram, literally zero people follow me on Instagram, (laughs) but I would define, I would define success as if you setting forth goals, first of all, first step to success is to set goals and then achieving them uh, despite the obstacles that's successful. In my case, I'm doing that to grow a business really big and success for me is a really large me and my co-founder, our whole team is a really large enterprise that creates a lot of jobs, creates a lot of value, is going to be there for a long time. And, you know, it makes wealth along the way for shareholders. That's that's really important to us. But it's really about, you know, setting up those objectives and, and succeeding no matter the, the uh, obstacles, overcoming them, and then doing it again. That to me is, is success. And uh, it, over my career, you know, I've had somewhere I've crushed the obstacles and had wild success and wild financial success. And I've lived through a few recessions and I've, you know, gone through the great recession and I've, you know, just seen all the balance sheet I had go to hell. Uh, I've had companies, you know, my first company that I started was within five years was doing nearly a hundred million revenue within 10 years was pretty much gone. So I've seen the ups and downs and the key is making sure you, you know what you're trying to accomplish, taking that hill, and that's what's going to define uh, your sense of uh, self-worth and your sense of success. For me, that's what the philosophy would be. Fantastic. You know, one of the things I've been trying to get Chat GPT to do for me is to tell me a funny original joke. And frankly, it's, I'm out of luck so far. It's been, I'll call it an abysmal failure. And in fact, I've had to ask AI to explain some of its jokes to me before and still left unsatisfied. So in my quest for a good joke, I'll just ask somebody who works with AI as his business, Tim, what's the funniest joke you know about artificial intelligence? That's that's really putting me on the spot to come up with a joke myself about AI. I'm going to have to take a rain check on the joke. That's fine. Because we actually have several on the bulletin board, but I just can't remember one offhand. But what, tell me one that you've been working on. I'll tell you how, how funny it was or how not funny it was. You know, they've been so bad that I don't remember them. That's not that I can't even remember them. <laughs> I have a hard enough t- time remembering the jokes that are funny and some that I can remember. I can't tell. So I guess we'll have to both have, take a rain check. <laughs> I have an eight-year-old and a 14-year-old at home. So the eight-year-old jokes aren't particularly funny. And the 14-year-old aren't fit for a family uh, podcast. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those have occupied my mental space and I don't think I'll be able to share those. <laughs> One of the silliest jokes I ever heard, I was uh, doing a, I was in the middle of a pitch competition and we had an AV problem. It was an AV problem. Uh, it wasn't a, a audio problem. It was just a, a video problem or a visual problem. And, and so we were waiting and one of the, um, one of the panelists or the judges, this VC, he told a joke and he said, he said, well, while we're waiting, two wells walk into a bar. Maybe they swim into a bar. 
and they they plop down on bar stools and bartender says what do you all have what will you have and one of the wells looks at the bartender and goes and the other one looks at him and says shut up bob you're drunk already i don't know why that's <laughs> funny to me but <laughs> <laughs> it was sure funny at the time because the guy who told the joke, I would not expect, would not have expected to to tell that joke. Yeah, I'm talking about you, Ken Woody, if you're listening out there. Okay, what's something that you want to learn or get better at over the rest of this year? Okay, learn or get better at over the rest of this year. So I have been hiring people who code in Python, like Dylan, my co-founder, he, he codes but I was never a coder. Uh, I'm, you know, an imposter who is good at maybe hiring people and making sure they get paid and selling, but never actually programming. Uh, so I'm actually learning Python right now. I, I'm really, you know, enjoying the process. I do it on Saturday mornings and Sunday afternoons. And, you know, if I ever get stuck, I have a whole team of people who are going to unstuck me. But uh, I just find it really fascinating. It's kind of like doing a puzzle. If, you know, if you're not someone who does a puzzle, and then you sit down, you know, like on vacation or something, you start working on a thousand word puzzle, you kind of get into it. And the time you get in the flow and the time kind of goes by. Uh, and so that's one of the things that I'm enjoying. I should have been doing it five years ago, but, you know, let's be honest, I was doing other stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I've thought about doing that and maybe I'll get around to it. It hasn't gotten high enough on my get around to it yet list. And now I have a three-year-old boy at home, so it'll probably wait even longer um, get him to code. Get him to code. That, that was yeah. my, that's my scenario. Yeah. Coding by five, right? Why not? Right. Okay, last question. Tim, what's something I should have asked you that I did not ask? Well, one thing I meant to add, mention, which I didn't, so if you'd yeah. ask that, is we're talking about the, the reasons to come to, um, to, to Northwest Arkansas or to yeah. Arkansas in general. And I talked about, you know, the, 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 the community the partners like um, Innovate Arkansas and Atento. But what I left out is a really important partner that's really unique in Arkansas, and that is the um, AEDC, the Arkansas Economic Development Commission, operating out of Little Rock. They have some incentives that are really incredible. So one of them is for every million dollars that we raise in equity, they contribute a tax credit of 33% mm -hmm. to the investors. And they, if the investors are in Arkansas and have a state tax liability, they can use it. And if they're not, they can they can sell it to you know a bank. And so you know there aren't a lot of states that do things like that. They, there's you'll find those incentives if you're a much larger company. You know, like here in Georgia, they'll spend quite a bit of taxpayers' uh, dollars or taxpayers' rebates, if you will, to bring you know an auto plant to Georgia. But you won't see something like that for startups or entrepreneurs. Um, and then another one is the Arkansas Development Finance Agency, or ADFA. Mm -hmm. uh, they, uh, they actually contributed equity alongside some of our investors when we did a seed round. So, you know, not tax credits, but actual equity going in alongside investors. And to the investor community that we brought with us from out of state, they looked at that and they're like, that seems really too good to be true. And I'm like, no, it's, it's here. It's in Arkansas. You're not going to find that in California, New York, or Georgia. And so I think that's something really valuable. And so if anybody, if it's like a startup company listening to this podcast, they should definitely check out AEDC because it, it meant a lot to us and, and to our investors. Absolutely. I mean, gosh, if, if you're a startup founder and you really want to look smart to your investors, show up and, and say to them, have I got a deal for you? I can hand you a 33% discount 
on your investment today. And if you have somebody you want to co-invest with you, I can give them a 33% discount on their investment today. And if you aren't in Arkansas, there's a bank that'll buy that tax credit 90 cents on the dollar. I mean, yep. talk about a way to, uh, it's, it's a good, it's a good uh, early conversation piece <laughs> for your investors. Tim, thank you for sharing your time uh, with me and the, the Bentonville Beacon audience today. You know, I can't wait to release this episode out into the wild and uh, maybe I'll even have AI critique it for us. And I probably won't <laughs> understand what it told me anyway, especially if I ask it to make a joke about us. But seriously, I enjoyed uh, spending time with you today. So thanks for coming on. And, and again, welcome home. James, the pleasure is all mine. I really appreciate you having me on the, on the show. And uh, I'm very, very glad to be in Northwest Arkansas. Thank you very much. Awesome. Well, thrilled to have you and Sim Porter here. So thank you to uh, our Bentonville Beacon audience. You know, without you, this uh, show doesn't exist. It's for you. So please share this episode with your friends and colleagues. Keep coming back to bentonvillebeacon.com to see all of our episodes or, or listen on your favorite podcast player. And if you do that, hit your subscribe button. And of course, keep coming back to listen, to learn about Bentonville's leaders and their businesses and this place in Northwest Arkansas where you get more of what you want and less of what you don't. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Bentonville Beacon podcast. We hope to see you next week.